Talking Star Wars presents Talking Avatar. Hello all, I am Connor. And I'm Alex. And today we are Talking Avatar. Yep. Taking, uh, as we have been for the last few weeks, taking a break from Star Wars to explore a series that has also captured our attention and is a similar multimedia franchise um, from Star Wars, Avatar The Last Airbender, The Legend of Korra, and its supporting media. And we're going to do a character spotlight because uh, one of the strengths in Avatar is in its writing, in its character design, and in fully fleshing out arcs for each of these characters. And Alex, who are we taking a look at today? So today we are talking about General Iroh of the Fire Nation, the Dragon of the West, surrogate father to Prince Zuko, also known as Uncle Iroh. Now, Alex, I want you to think back to the very first episode, or two episodes that aired for uh, Avatar's premiere. So we have this villain in Prince Zuko and his mentor. Normally... When you look at the mentor to the primary villain in any other media, where does your mind go to first as far as how that character will progress? Well, typically they would then be the next level of evilness you must uh, overcome. You have defeated the student, and now Vader is gone. The Emperor stands behind him. Oh, uh, you've defeated Maul, but Palpatine stands behind him. Oh, you defeated um, Sidious, or defeated uh, Dooku. Well... That's also Palpatine behind him. But uh, most of the time when you have a mentor figure to one of your antagonists, Jabba, Jabba for Boba Fett or so on, you have then just another antagonist. Avatar does something very unique in having a redeemable um, villain whose mentor is the one who is redeeming him from inside the enemy camp. Not only is a, there a redeemable antagonists who eventually joins the protagonists in the character of Zuko, but it is not the protagonists who do the redemption work on him. It is his own mentor figure from within the enemy camp. Shall we say in the form of Iroh. And I don't think we've seen really any other character like that in popular media, this uh, redemptive figure. I mean, we have Bernard Butler in Spider-Man three, who helps Harry Osborn understand that his father is this green goblin and has been this whole time and has decided to withhold this information for years until we got to the third Spider-Man movie. Uh, but I'll say that it's, you know, even if this character archetype has occurred, it has never been progressed better than the character of Iroh in Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah, there's a reason that Iroh will come at the top of like best characters in fiction, um, characters that people would most like to have tea with. Uh, he is something special in that he is, is, it's so hard to write a character like that well, where you acknowledge all his faults in all of his growth, but also see, you believe everything that he does. And he serves as such this positive force in the series, despite for the first third of it being nominally on the side of um, the antagonists who are fighting against our heroes. But we only see him literally attack Aang one time as part of a joint firebending attack um, with Zuko. And after that, he's like, well, that didn't go well. I am going to do my White Lotus thing for the rest of the series and just try to redeem my my nephew. And then um, by the end of the first season, I'm going to attack another Fire Nation admiral uh, mm -hmm. to save a spirit. 
Um, and Zhao yeah. is definitely deserving that attack. So yeah, let's explore the character of Ira from the beginning. Because uh, you only get his life in bits and pieces. He is a character who has already gone through most of his character development by the time the the series has started, in that he was once General Iroh, Dragon of the West. Um, always probably a jovial, tea-loving man, but part of the Fire Nation war machine. He you know, killed hundreds, if not thousands, in battle. He laid siege to the largest city in the world for almost two years, the 600-day siege of Ba Sing Se. He joked about burning it down. Uh, he was just a product of his time. He was an ambitious, somewhat ruthless uh, military man who, at the behest of his father, Azulan, went uh, went to go a conquering in the name of the Fire Nation. <laughs> but uh, he was always yeah. a devoted father to his son, Luten. And so Iroh is on one trajectory of his life where he becomes the future Fire Lord, uh, may or may not have to deal with treachery from his younger brother Ozai at some point in the future, but takes the throne after Azulan dies and conquers Ba Sing Se. But then his life is forever changed upon what he sees as the senseless death of his son Luten in the war, where after the death of Luten, not only is he personally crushed, but he has a realization that not only is his son dead, but he has killed the sons and daughters of so many other people. And so he calls off the siege in disgrace, returns to the fire nation. And by the time he returns after the siege is broken, his brothers already made a move to pose their father and had himself declared fire Lord. And Ozai accepts a position in his court as an advisor, but with no real power. And uh, just as a, a small aside to how this information is conveyed, if this were a typical anime, we would have gotten a monologue or two or three about Iroh's past and the sacrifices that he's made and the loss of his son that he's still recovering from. Uh, but instead, Avatar The Last Airbender decides to do this in the most painful way possible. And uh, uh, we're given this episode of what should be frivolity. It's a, a multi-part episode where we just see each of the you know, main characters of the show as they spend a day in the city of Basingse in the Earth Kingdom. And uh, it's been, you know, it's been fun. It's been good. Sokka puts on a, a you know, slam rap battle. Uh, but Iroh is, you know, trying to uh, help a youth and circumvent just the wily criminal nature of Basingse until he can get to uh, a tree and have a ceremony for his lost son and sing him a song and so we don't learn the details or the you know see the gruesome battle that took his son but we just see the the pain and the loss that he suffers to this day in uh, uh the most beautiful piece of uh, i would say cinema ever recorded uh even though it's you know, it's animated it's tv it is still more emotionally impactful than many other things that i have seen yeah, the, the six minutes of the tale of Iroh are up there with the first five minutes of the movie up with the most emotionally wrenching mm. thing you could possibly watch. Yes. What, why it works so well for the tale of Iroh and the tales of Ba Sing Se is because this then casts the lens through which you need to view all of Iroh's previous actions. 
we've already gotten bits and pieces. We know that he is a general. We know that he is most regarded as soft by other Fire Nation individuals. We know that he is an exceptionally powerful firebender who at the same time rather abhors violence. We know he is part of some secret society that transcends the bounds of the nations. And we know that he really wants to redeem his son Zuko and sees him as his own son, um, which he tells Zuko before the battle at the North Pole. But then we we know that his son is dead because he tells Zuko this in that same conversation a season before. But to show so powerfully how much his son's death still affects Iroh and how every action he takes to try to better someone's life is sourced from that moment and that pain that is always with him just casts him in a new light and just shows... You know, it calls to mind our our other line from Marvel: "What is, uh, what is grief if not love persevering?" That is that is Iroh's character at its core. And what else can we say about about him? Just he starts out as somewhat of a buffoon of a character, deliberately, you know, mm-hmm. obf- obfuscating his true abilities. And when because when he really cuts loose. Uh, we see some element of him is just sort of he's a jovial man, but mm-hmm. when he really cuts loose, he is the most serious and deadly person in the show. I would paint an arc for him like this. Uh, he's always supportive of Zuko, and when we get to season two, when Zuko has to face lightning uh, bending in the form of his sister Azula, this is when Iroh starts to teach him sort of subversive firebending techniques. He uh, teaches him how to deflect lightning bending through a water bending technique and he's trying to uh you know teach Tezuko that the point of life now is to enjoy it and to find peace and tranquility now that we are on the run from our fire nation and no longer have to look for the avatar uh and then it isn't until or backing up a little bit we even see an interaction between Iroh and one of the members of team avatar with his interactions with Toph uh, where she can't tell that he's Uncle Iroh she can just listen to him and hear the the wisdom that he's trying to pass down later in the same season uh, during the battle for Ba Sing Se um, the first one when Azula wins asking Iroh his advice about what to do with power because Iroh once had the ability to seize great power and did not and Iroh gives him the advice to choose love over power every time um, which we don't know if is the best advice, but it is very Iroh-like advice. Mm-hmm. And we get to the point where it seems like everything is going to turn to this corner where Team Avatar will succeed. Zuko sees that there is some benefit to Team Avatar because he has helped free their, their Sky Bison from captivity. Things are going to turn the tide, but Zuko makes the youthful, tragic decision to try to make his parents proud and to turn in the avatar and give up everything that his uncle has tried to teach him. And we're given this dark chapter where Iroh is just in captivity. And he doesn't speak for a couple of reasons. One, unfortunately, the voice actor, the legendary Mako, passed away at this point. And it wasn't until his understudy uh, rose up to you know, be able to speak his lines for the remainder of the series. But he's at one position hurt and in pain because Zuko did not follow through with his redemption, but he's also uh, bettering himself so that he's not just a jolly old oaf so that he can break out of prison and he becomes ripped, which I mean, 
is uh visually uh hilarious i don't know if that's just me but seeing the the old cuddly keebler elf man become this uh ripped grandpa is something that is in one point hilarious and in another point inspiring that no matter how old and out of shape jovial we can become we can return to rock hard iroh state Iroh sees his body as a tool again and when he needs to escape prison it's like all right i have to get swole again like i was when i was a general (laughs) um but he's also not portrayed as perfect and and, then like i said if we're going to talk about other anime like a trope like he's the other powerful hero that would come in and help ang against ozai and brother would fight brother Iroh refuses he's like if i fought my brother it would just cause another struggle for power um i don't need to compare my power level to ozai's and in fact he might even defeat me and there's only one person who can defeat him, and that's the Avatar, so I'm not going mm-hmm. to involve myself. Instead, I will go undo my greatest mistake and free the city of Bossing Say from mm-hmm. the Federation. Um, and, and with all of my um, Order of the White Lotus friends. The Avengers of old men. <laughs> and I think we need to drill down a little bit into why is Iroh both so compelling? Why is he so popular? What about him makes him so unique? Because we have plenty of mentor characters, many of whom are great. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi comes to mind as another person feeling almost the same role. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have lots of mentors. What makes Iroh stand apart? What makes him oh. so interesting? I would argue that with Obi-Wan, he was primarily just Luke's mentor up until very recently when we saw a little bit of... Uh, how his lessons would impact Ahsoka in the Clone Wars, but then in his own show, how he became a a teacher for Leia and helped to develop that relationship. But before all of that, we had Iroh, who was not just a mentor to Zuko, but a momentary mentor to Toph and Aang. Uh, He had a a wider influence, uh, just a wider spread. And he came from the villainous side of the pond, which is even more engaging because we're wondering, okay, so he is a villain, he has done villainous things. We learned that he has done incredibly villainous things. And uh, we see uh, through the storytelling that it's not just what we see or what's been told to us, but just by his interactions with every individual that he comes in to path with. Uh, he doesn't come across as a domineering Fire Nation individual. He is very open and receptive to anyone that comes across his path, especially if they're serving dinner at any point. Yeah. I would agree with pretty much everything you said about what makes Iroh interesting and comparing with other mentor figures. And I think part of it is that we see him, even when he's adopting a persona like that of the bumbling fire nation general, he is always trying to do what is best for people, but he is also not a cardboard cutout of just an infinitely supportive person. He has vices um, of tea, of perfume. He, he steals perfume at one point. Um, <laughs> he forgets where things are. He decides to um, nap too long in a hot spring and gets captured. Uh, but even that then reveals his sort of his military prowess. And when he's captured, he breaks himself free. Uh, but does not dispute the charges made against him by the people who captured him, merely that he cannot allow himself to be captured now because Zuko needs him. Mm -hmm. So I think it is his support of Zuko, even when he's been rebuffed. Um, Mm -hmm. So he is stepping into this father role that someone else needs. He has no hate in his heart for anyone, blessed of all our heroes, who he is also meant serves as mentor for. Uh, 
Um, but he's not just, uh, as I said, he has his own quirks, his own foibles. He is a fully realized person who is just mm-hmm. trying his best and is trying to atone for what he has also done in his life. Right. And he's doing that as only an aged individual could. You know, imagine uh, Luke Skywalker as a jovial old man rather than a cantankerous old man who is just trying to teach his new way of thinking to the next generation and has the patience to wait for them to see it the correct way. See, Iroh has acknowledged his shortcomings and has... Mm -hmm worked on them. Luke needs to both acknowledge his own shortcomings and then work on atoning for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Luke has not yet reached by the point that he died. He only at the very end does he reach Iroh levels of um, acceptance in Zen. And I think another thing that makes Iroh compelling is we get these little hints about his history and his past. A, a line that Zhao speaks about his journey to the spirit world that he had uh, has made known. And we see in one episode where Aang is in the spirit world, he is invisible to everyone but Iroh. And Iroh retains the ability to see into the spirit world for the entire show. Uh, we see that Iroh is willing to attack Zhao, uh, Admiral Zhao at the North Pole, for attempting to uh, fight the spirit world. Is he willing to break Fire Nation rules to support Zuko, but is always being honest with Zuko about his own shortcomings. So... He he's, has this humility to him and that he's also very powerful, but never uses that power except in protection of his own life or those who he holds dear. He does not feel the need to match his power against anyone else because he tried that game and it resulted in, in the death of his son. Mm-hmm. And he's dealt with a sacrifice that's more personal and impactful than anyone else in the show. And even characters who have, you know, we have his brother Ozai who would try to assassinate his own son just for the sake of his own escalation in power. Uh, it is because of the remorse that Iroh has that we actually feel empathy and sympathy towards him. And we can hate someone like Ozai. And he just drops wisdom all the time about how mm-hmm. there is a simple honor in poverty um, in that if it's not your... Um, choice and you're forced into it to try to just get by with what you have mm-hmm. uh, he drops lines about he's always trying to pass on wisdom to anyone he meets and even when he's on the run he just sort of accepts his lot with um, you know this, not even not a stiff upper lip but just sort of like um, I would call almost, almost stoicism but in the original Roman sense in that he focuses on what he can control and simply allows the rest to to flow down the river, as it were. Mm-hmm. Ooh, we'd be remiss in saying uh, the fact that he goes full Jedi Force Ghost and is the only human individual other than Admiral Zhao to have a physical presence in the spirit realm and uh, continue his very path of offering uh, help and guidance to the next Avatar, Korra. Oh, yes. So before, uh, on his deathbed, instead of dying as most humans do, he is spiritual enough to pass his spirit into the spirit world and establishes his domain inside the spirit world itself, where he has guests and he serves tea and he just continues to dispense wisdom for at least another century um, or two, uh, because he has to be, he, he was already elderly when we got to that point in the last airbender. So a couple decades on, he was likely on his deathbed and entered the spirit world. 
where he then gave great advice to to Korra, and then um, in a recently released um, piece of media, he then dictated a letter to Korra to bring back to Zuko, as Zuko is now older than Iroh was when Iroh passed away. That's fun. The the other aspect of Iroh we have to talk about is, of course, he is the Grand Lotus of the Order of the White Lotus. Mm -hmm. Um, And he is also our first hint that there are individuals outside of the Avatar who see the fusion of the four elements and four peoples as a positive thing. The most detailed explanation we get of the four people, their philosophies, and their natures is not from Aang, the Avatar, or from any of his past lives, um, but is from Iroh. Uh, where he explains the beliefs and primary cultural touchstones of the Fire Nation, Earth Kingdom, Water Tribes, and Air Nomads, is able to explain those to Zuko in a way that he can understand. Zuko, you know, wonders why he knows this, and Iro contextualizes it for Zuko as an, ah, this is a way to learn more power- powerful firebending techniques. But really, it's because Iro is the Grand Lotus of the Order of the White Lotus, a secret society that attempts to promote peace, understanding, and beauty across the um, political borders of the four nations. So even his influence has a through line in Korra that is outside of his actual appearance, where some of his ideals are showing up in places like Republic City, where we have uh, like a small nation who is self-sufficient and uh, believes in equality amongst all the different bending and non-bending denominations. And... Iroh is also cool because he's really strong. That is always, um, and not only in his morals and his uh, stance and his wisdom, though he is certainly strong in all his areas, but he is also just a powerful person who never uses, seeks to use that power to impose it on others. But he always mm-hmm. is trying to oppose injustice where he finds it. Um, from his demonstration of why he's called the Dragon of the West by breathing fire at everyone around him so he and Zuko can escape an ambush, um, to being able to bend lightning, one of only three people we see in the original um, series that can do that, uh, and so, uh, to yeah, his spiritual ca- uh, accomplishments, and even he was one of the only other people other than Zuko and Aang who visit the last of the dragons and learn the true secret of firebending, where he mm-hmm. then chose to keep their secret and lie to the whole world. And that kind of folds right back into his journey into the spiritual realm, just having a respect of the, the spiritual realm while he's alive and being able to live in part in their world afterwards yeah and it is revealed in the same legacy of the fire nation um addendum that i mentioned earlier that the reason iroh journeyed into the spirit world was an attempt to find the spirit of his son mm-hmm. um in that he did not find luten's spirit which had moved on but instead found the wisdom and compassion that defines iroh to this day and, and my, my final thing i want to add about iroh is that he is not a man of infinite patience. He is he gives you the medicine you can handle in the moment. Uh, so when Zuko is traumatized and isolated and just needs a shoulder, Iroh was there ingratiating himself, blunting his worst of his instincts. But when Zuko is then free and is then just trapped by his own expectations, Iroh gives him the hard medicine. He tells yes. him what he needs to do. You must look within yourself. You never, you never think these things through. I have accepted the, all these bad decisions. I have been worried about you for years. You have almost died so many times. You have to decide to do the right thing. I can't do this anymore. So he mm-hmm. gives him that medicine, and Zuko is a build. Even though Zuko rejects that wisdom a couple episodes later, is the building block that then makes Zuko 
turn eventually to siding with the protagonists and his utter acceptance of Zuko when Zuko does walk the path of redemption, um, just his unconditional love and support is again, one of the more touching moments in Avatar. So before I start to think too much about Iroh and his relationship with Zuko and his loss for his son, Luten, and start to cry uncontrollably, any other thoughts that you have in regards to Iroh? I think we've yeah, we sketched out the character who, at the face of it, is very simple. A general who lost his son and then took up sort of non-violence as a life's path. But took it in pursuit not only of just atoning for himself, but of making the world better in every way he found it. Even from even when he's still part and within the Fire Nation, he has identified where he can do the most good. And he is a surrogate father. He is basically the father of Prince Zuko, uh, whatever Ozai's official title might be. And his influence um, is both positive on our protagonists and that he gives advice to Aang and Toph. Uh, and early in the series, when Katara acknowledges something is, is her fault, um, rather than where Aang is like, no, it's all right. I wrote straight up, tells her, no, this is your bad. I was always there to acknowledge when you, you screwed up. So, he keeps things real. <laughs> yeah. So for always being a G, um, we give Iroh top, top marks as a character. Yes, just one of the best characters out of any kind of fictional media. Yeah, everyone wishes he was their father. Mm-hmm. Or, or at least uncle. uncle. Yeah. <laughs> everyone would like to have a cup of tea with Iroh and hear what life wisdom he has to give you. But really, as he would tell you, the best wisdom comes within yourself. And it might just be tea with a stranger who can help you unlock it yourself. Damn, that is wise. So I thank you all, our, our, our fans and listeners. Uh, if you have any sort of suggestions for other characters that deserve a spotlight, please drop it in our comments on this. Uh, uh, any kind of media platform in which you're listening to this on uh, or our YouTube or our subreddit. All right. Thank you for listening to our character spotlight of Uncle Iroh, also known as General Iroh, Dragon of the West, and have a great week. Until then.